Welcome to Game Dev London. Uh, I'm your host for this episode, uh, Chris Payne, and uh, with me is Richard Hebblewhite. Uh, Richard is the senior Hello. lecturer in comp uh, computing at Glinda University, Wrexham. Mm -hmm. uh, he's uh, also the program leader for game development, uh, game design and enterprise and game art. And he's also mm -hmm. uh, the UK uh, organizer for the Global Game Jam. Mm -hmm. So welcome to uh, Game Dev London, Rich. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Good to catch up. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, how has uh, lockdown been for for you as uh, as an educator? Because like you've had probably one of the most difficult transitions mm. of of anybody. Yeah, yeah, I think our industry just in perhaps more so schools to begin with, and then later on universities. We, as a, as a sector, we've taken let's say a little bit of a bashing in, in the media for various different reasons. Um, yeah, so it was a tough time, especially at the start of the lockdown when everything was just so uncertain. And we didn't really know what we were gonna do and how we were gonna do it. Um, in, in our particular case, we were kind of ahead of the game uh, slightly on the basis that we already had quite a good uh, and well-connected Discord community. So it was a natural step for us to just think, you know what, we're just going to run everything in Discord. So we just did that. And there was only a tiny number of our community of students that were not already a part of that community. So it was really easy to kind of just get them involved and hit the ground running from that sense. So from that point of view, it's been good. It's just, uh, as probably everyone uh, is feeling right now, we've had to make a switch to online work. It's all of the workload that comes with that. And many things that are just unforeseen that you just have to deal with on a daily basis. And uh, the, the complete change of pace was I'm so used to being in a classroom, standing in front of people and talking. And now I'm yeah. sitting in front of, a, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and doing, the same, doing this kind of thing day in, day out. So it's just a little bit different and you just kind of roll with it. But uh, yeah, it's, it was, it's been a difficult year so far. I can imagine. Uh, mm. So looking at the bigger picture then, um, as, as, an, uh, as an educator in the, um, working around the games mm. industry, um, what's it like trying to keep a, a course up to date with what is probably one of the fastest changing industries mm. in the world? You know, it was a challenge. It's uh, one of the first things that we, we rely on, if you like, is our uh, huge network of graduates that we have out there. And many of those guys are now in very good jobs in very good studios some of them some of the world's biggest studios and we have regular contact with those and all of the things that we do when we come to what we call revalidating our courses which is the process we go through to put new courses out at a university when we go through those processes one of the first things we do is that we get in touch with all of our contacts not just ex-graduates but uh, colleagues and partners in the industry and go to those guys and say, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking. What's your take on it? And design a content around what we feel is, is a fair balance because we, we can't just um, go to somebody in the industry, hang on their every word and say, well, let's make a course that's exactly like that because there's a balance to be struck because as an academic, as a university, we also have to maintain this uh, strong academic theme, as you would imagine, that comes with, yeah. with the university level courses. So there's a balance to be struck. So yeah, it's challenging, but uh, we, we, we manage to stay, you know, keep afloat or keep ahead just by weight of numbers in terms of the number of contacts and ex-students and partners that we have. So um, yeah, it's just an ongoing, a never ending process. Fun yeah. <laughs> So I, I know that you've, um... Uh, I'm not sure how many um, 
universities are doing this, but I know that you have uh, introduced uh, some additional elements into the, your mm. um, curriculum for uh, video games in partnership mm. with the the, uh, the business school at the university. Did mm -hmm. you want to tell us about that a bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, when we first started uh, running games element courses back in 2006, 2007, um, we just had one, one course and that was a, a generic computer game development course, which was kind of a little bit of everything. And since that time, we've evolved uh, you know, quite considerably. We've now got different themes of courses. So if you think of the scale, you've got the harder, harder science end and you've got the softer end of the spectrum. So we've got things like game art at one end and we've got things like uh, computer game development, games technology, at the other end, which are more oriented towards physics, programming and so forth. But all of those things can be encapsulated with good business acumen. So one of the things we like to do is we have this thing called uh, the accelerator year. So when we get to the final year of our degree, the idea is to get students to think a little bit more about what they're going to do when they leave and not leave it until it's time to leave, because that's a big right. problem. There's a lot of people finish their degree. And this, this is not just applicable to games or computing, or it's, it's a general thing, right? So people will leave university and they think, well, well, now what shall I do? I should, I should start looking for jobs. But really what you want to be doing is thinking about that when you first start the year and you're using that final year as not just, you know, uh, as a, an opportunity to complete your degree, but you've got to use it as an opportunity to set your platform out and get yourself ready for when you leave. So one avenue that uh, has been really successful for us is getting students to think about maybe starting their own companies and spending that final year process, building that company, getting a bit of reputation, getting a first prototype product ready, perhaps searching for some initial seed funding. So by the time you get to the, uh, the end of that year, what you actually have are a whole host of additional opportunities and decisions to make that you probably wouldn't have had if you just left it until the end because by then it's too late. So one of the things that we've done is we have a, a program called Game Design and Enterprise. And the whole point of that is to train people up, not only in the aspects of technical game design and, and those issues that you would normally expect, but also with entrepreneurial activities and business acumen, business startup skills. And then that plugs into this uh, final year where all of our students work together uh, in their different disciplines to form a studio and then they can run that studio for a year and uh, some of them uh, decide to continue that process when they leave so they don't need to find a job because they've kind of got a career that they've carved for themselves um, and making a go of that instead so it's just a different way of thinking and a different host of opportunities and some students um, having been through that process tend to find it therefore much easier to access uh, mainstream industry positions at big studios because they've got that year of experience with actual day-to-day -day studio running and engagement of real-life products that you just don't get on a normal on a normal everyday academic program so from that point of view it's been a very successful sort of uh, way of thinking from from uh, for us yeah uh, and a lot of those uh, university uh, teams forming uh, studios have mm -hmm. uh, been quite successful in uh, competitions like transfuser haven't they yeah, absolutely. We, um, we've we been a participant in Transfuser, uh, not since the first year, but since the second year. But we've accumulated uh, just over £40,000 in direct funding for student companies in the last, accumulatively, in the last few years. Uh, one of those studios went on to win the Transfuser Award, which is only given to student companies that go on to be successful after the Transfuser programme. So Transfuser itself, for those who, who don't know it, it's basically funded by UK government via the UK Games Fund. And it's basically the grassroots system that we use for funding uh, people coming from university to have a go at starting their own company and trying to get a product launched, basically. And it's a competition. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I uh, obviously for full disclosure, I've worked with Rich on sort of uh, mm -hmm. um, panels advising some of the uh, student mm -hmm. teams uh, and and giving them feedback on their their pitches before they um, mm -hmm. they go into the competition. Um, and uh, and it's great. I, I think uh, I think it's really good practice because you know I worked mm -hmm. in the industry for twenty years before I ever needed to actually pitch anything to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, it is a different skill set, but it's it's quite critical if you're planning to um, build your own studio. Uh, so um, that's really good. So um, you've also been working on um, your own uh, program to try to. Um, uh, help give uh, student teams a bit of a, a lift up. Uh, do you yeah, want to talk about Games Talent Wales? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we launched Games Talent Wales in tail end of 20, when was it, 2019. And uh, we, well, it ran in the academic year, 1819 for the first time. And basically what we did is uh, we wanted to broaden the number of opportunities uh, given to students because Transfuser, for example, is a great program, but of course, because it's popular, uh, there are limitations to the number of teams that you can enter it's not you can't just enter infinite numbers of teams so one of the things that we found is that we would have quite a lot of different teams who are really interested in entering it and many of them might actually have a real real chance of launching a real life product as a studio and what we found was that some of the teams who didn't quite make it into the transfuser program were feeling were left a little bit disillusioned and then would kind of just disband and gravitate towards other things yeah. and what we wanted to do was think well you know what that team if they were given an opportunity to enter make let's say an alternative funding program they've probably got a good chance of being successful just like any of the other transfuser teams so we launched games out wales basically with that idea in mind, only obviously to underpin and uh, help uh, rejuvenate the Welsh grassroots gaming industry. And that was the idea behind it, really. Fantastic. So um, and how how's that going? It's because um, you're in like your first season two, season two, season, season two. Yeah, uh, this this season has been uh, way more challenging because of, uh, you know, the ongoing yeah. pandemic and uh, all of the, the challenges that come with that. So there have been things like delays on um, a whole host of different ideas because everybody's busy fighting fires all over the place. Yeah. Um, but the actual program itself is still um, been hugely successful. We, we've had a good uptake uh, again for this year. So we've got, uh, I think, six studios funded that one of them returning from the previous year with a new product. So uh, at, the, at the end of the first season, we had two studios launch real products. And we managed to take that to EGX uh, the, uh, last year before last. And um, that was really successful. So the idea is to just keep building and moving forward. And we're looking forward to the yeah. season three. Yeah. Speaking of uh, EGX, actually, that's, that's another mm -hmm. thing to um, mention. Is I know that you... Um, the, the university runs a um, mm -hmm. uh, a booth at um, EGX yeah. for mm -hmm. um, uh, recruiting new students, but mm -hmm. you also um, uh, bus all your um, game development students to the show mm -hmm. to enable them to get a feel for uh, that environment and to be able to network with other developers. Oh, yeah, how, yeah, has, yeah. how has that proved? Uh, has that proved really useful? 
Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You always get um, people who are just super enthusiastic, right? And they attend everything. You know, more things. They attend more things than I could ever even dream of attending yeah. because they're just super enthusiastic. But then you get a lot of other students who come through who just maybe just don't have the means to be able to attend these sort of things, or they're just a little bit shy and they just may, maybe wouldn't do that if it wasn't for the chance that, um, that uh, coming to university like us. So we, we make sure we take everyone down there because I think it's just a great experience of going to an event of that size and getting a feel for how it is to be in and around um, not necessarily real developers in the in the mainstream sections, but certainly going to the res zone of EDX where you get a yeah. chance to actually meet the real devs, the grassroots guys, the people with the real the talented people. You go to the <laughs> the res zone and uh, they get a chance to actually ask you know real life developers about their games and speak to them. And so you you, you can't what you can, I was going to say you can't buy experience like that, but just but you can because you buy a ticket right to get in. But but uh, you you get you get the the picture of what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, and people look forward to it every year. It's always been a good thing. It's what the thing we started doing, we, we've been doing that for about ten years, I think, maybe more. Uh-huh. And it was only really in the last five years we decided, you know what, it's probably a good idea to actually just go there as a university and start having an actual proper booth right. and talk to people and get more involved and that's how it started and of course now we've expanded that and now we have a whole games talent wales industry section in the res zone as well so um we've just kind of sort of been expanding and expanding it over the last few years yeah that's Good fantastic fun. so um how is that going to progress um in in the the new world of virtual events do you think yeah so um it makes life more challenging so from for example, uh, things like EJX would typically have like a, a career zone where you would normally have studios and academic institutions and all these different people all together. Uh, things like that, frankly, are not translating very well into like a digital version of that. The, no. Most of the bigger events are kind of focusing more on studios with products to sell games for example. Yeah. So um, it's a slightly different way of thinking. And I think that the event uh, runners are basically still finding their feet when it, with respect to how we do these sort of things. So, for example, the guys at GameIndustry.biz, rather than be part of EGX, which they would normally do their business, some stuff has kind of, they've taken that to, for themselves now when they've started hosting their own stuff and doing things like that. So there are great examples of the people that might normally host these things of kind of doing their own thing. And it's all a little bit fragmented, I think, at the moment. So we're still kind of people finding their feet and uh, deciding on where best to kind of attend and pitch your tent so to speak moving forward uh one of the other things that um you do with your copious spare time uh is uh global game jam uh and uh, you've moved from uh running the hub uh out of Wrexham university to um mm. organizing like the in the entire um uk uh scene. yeah yeah but, yeah um how, how did that come about yeah so um, I've been a site organiser for the best part of about 10 years, which has always been great fun because we always have a really good attendance. In fact, our site is the biggest in Wales and, and has been since we started doing it all those years ago. And then I was asked to take over as the regional organiser for UK and Ireland for the Global Game Jam at the tail end of 2019. And uh, that was, um, you know, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy I love the Global Game Jam. I've, I've, I've been always super enthusiastic about it since I was first involved. I think it's brilliant. Um, uh, being a regional organiser gives you uh, a, a little bit of a different way of thinking because it gives you access to the kind of the back end and all of the, the organisation that takes place. And sometimes, you know, as a site organiser, you're busy because you're focusing on all of the things to do with your venue. And if it's quite mm-hmm. a big venue or you have quite a lot of people and we have 
in and around 100-ish, you know, or so when we do our events every year. It's not small. It takes a little bit of time. When you set that up and then you're having to deal with, you know, um, hundreds of sites uh, or around the world or at least, you know, which, which potentially thousands of um, jammers across the whole of the UK and Ireland, then um, it becomes a logistically a much more complicated thing. So there are set processes that we go through. But yeah, it's great fun. The Global Game Jam is... Uh, you know, a, a really core part of, um, you know, I think per, of personal development. I mean, I benefited from it even as a, a seasoned professional now. I, I still yeah. love it. And I still think I learn new things from it every single year, just by yeah. being around people who were going through that same learning process as I went through when I first started doing these things. So yeah, Global Game Jam is, um, it's a way of life. It's got to be done, got to be done. I find that um, game jams work really well as a tiny little microcosm of the the, the complete dev cycle, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. really useful to have that structure to force you to actually try mm. to deliver something finished mm. and put yeah. it out there to uh, to the public. Yeah. Do you find that it's it, um, is it a valuable experience for students to, who, are, oh. who are looking to get into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a value experience, a valuable experience for anyone really mm. you know, students uh, or anyone aside i mean the first thing you learn is there are deadlines <laughs> and you have sometimes you have to you know crunch that's a, a naughty word i know but we have to crunch to kind of meet uh, meet deadlines in you know a very con uh, condensed period of time so it's, it teaches you things like scope if you know you've only got 48 hours which is the period of time that we have for the global game jam yeah. that teaches you that well okay i can't make you know a triple a AAA title because we've only got 48 hours and maybe we don't know anything about games <laughs> so you've got to learn all these things and get your game made in that time including the design the product you know conceptualization prototyping and then get it submitted in time so just the the whole experience of being part of that process not just learning how to make a game you know in a short space of time but the stress that comes with it the excitement of being as a team meeting new people the weight of expectation and then being completely disappointed when you realize that the lofty ideas you had would never work. So you have to get rid of all that. So you'll see, you learn how to, you have to learn how to take rejection. <laughs> so if your ideas are just too lofty and won't work, you have to learn to deal with that. And there, there, are, there are just so many factors as, uh, and reasons as to why a global game jam or game jams in general are you know, a, a valuable learning tool, including for those who are organizing it and running it as well. I mean, you learn so much just from witnessing <laughs> the, the the organized chaos that, that takes place. You just learn so much. It's, it's just great. Uh, I would hope that the main lesson regarding uh, crunch, though, would be that uh, it does not magically like, fix um, all of your no, problems. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Uh, it, it's I mean, I've, I've, I've crunched for game jams and mm -hmm. uh, it it's it's not fun but uh, at least it has the benefit of being short and temporary um i do feel for certain developers who are currently crunching mm -hmm. to ship a certain high-end game that mm -hmm. they are probably going to be quite glad to see the back of um I but uh, i'm sure it's so, going to be yeah. fantastic but yeah. uh yeah it, it's crunch take a moment is... to remember those who have yes. sacrificed yeah. to uh you know get the, to achieve that goal, I think is the key, isn't it? And uh, yeah, Global Game Jam is exactly that ethos, right? Yeah. I think as a, if you go into a jam, and not just Global Game Jam, but any kind of jam, you, you quickly learn that, you know what, I need to pace myself because mm -hmm. the first thing that most um, game jam newbies do is they, they try to just work for 48 hours without stopping. And then they get to like yeah. the end of the first 24 and then they just crash and burn horrifically. And then yeah. you come in, you, you see them the next morning and of the following day and they're just like 
dead bodies almost completely useless to anybody because they can't function they've not slept they've not yeah. ate or they've or they've just jacked themselves up on a thousand cans of red bull and now it's all worn off and they're on a major downer <laughs> and it's kind of like it, 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 they quickly learn that you know crunching and this kind of oh you know just must keep mm -hmm. working until i'm finished it just does not work it's 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 maybe a quick fix uh for a, to solve a, a problem that needs to be solved yeah. uh, but you can't it's not a, it's not a business model you can't operate like that indefinitely so yeah it's great experience and students yeah. get a chance to kind of <laughs> you experience just how tough that kind of thing is if they if they don't approach it correctly you end up crunching because you didn't plan your time so um yeah it's good experience do you think that that uh, process of um, encouraging uh, game jams and uh, like forming um, companies whilst uh, still at university, uh, does that lend itself to um, students getting a better appreciation of some of the um, uh, softer skills involved around game uh, dev? So obviously um, like communication and sort of like time management and so on is a key one, but also things like um, self-care and avoiding crunch and, and so on. Oh yeah. 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 One of, one of the things that we do, I mean, you're going to get different experiences, you know, depending on, you know, if you're students and you apply for a university course, you're going to get a different experience depending on where you are and where you go and so on. Uh, it's at our university, one of the things we do you know, immediately, even at our le very lowest levels of entry at like our foundation year programs is we, we roll out uh, methodologies first and foremost. So we're teaching students, um how to organize themselves so if you if yeah. you're reasonably well organized there's a you know even if you're not the greatest programmer or you're not the greatest artist or what or the greatest designer if you've got a group of people who are at least well organized and understand that we're just trying to it's just it's just business right it's not personal we've just got a deadline we just need to be able to work together to solve this problem and everything will be fine and they have an organized way of doing that you tend to find there's less stress you tend to find that you get less arguments because it kind of takes the sting out of potentially conflicting situations. This idea of, you know, things can become a little bit fractured when the stress levels begin to rise. So the, yeah. the more you can teach students to kind of alleviate that through good practice, you can kind of keep a handle on things and you get better well-being as a result. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you've got things like COVID and the problem that we've got now, which kind of um, throw the cat amongst the pigeons from the point of view that now some of those soft skills are, f are more difficult to keep sharp right because we're just doing things like webcams and distance learning so uh, teaching students how to work as a team and how to continue to be productive as a group is an, a, a different kind of challenge to us now because we're having to um you know uh make sure that everybody's able to engage in the right kind of way and you've got tech technological concerns because maybe not everyone has access to the right piece of kit at the right time because physical really can't get to the campus because it's locked or they're using a version of the engine and maybe it requires a massive download and somebody's got a rubbish internet access at home and just, it takes them a week to download it or there are there are a whole host of things that can get in the way and when you're dealing with people who are more inexperienced and more vulnerable to like negativity and things they can you know really be affected by it far more mm -hmm. so than somebody who's a little bit more seasoned you've really got to take care of uh, making sure that there's like a you know a, a foundation of support in place so that you, you don't reach that point where you're kind of zero sum you know where you slip off the end and then yeah. uh, you know it's it's an unrecoverable situation so yeah it's 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 a really interesting subject area more than anything else from my from my point of view i really enjoy the idea of trying to 
look at these things in a kind of holistic way and try to map out what works, what doesn't work and make tweaks. And it's just uh, another stage in the evolution of our course. In, in, in some ways, as much as this pandemic has been a bit scary and, you know, a bit, um, well, I say a bit, but very problematic. Yeah. Uh, it's an understatement, but it's also been really interesting and fun from the point of view that it's opened up avenues of thought for me and for, for the team and for yeah. everyone in the whole industry, your, your game industry, education, all of us were having to kind of completely in some ways rethink the way that we do things. And uh, that's, yeah. I actually think is a good thing to some extent, because now we've learned, you know what, actually, we could probably make some improvements here and there now and take some of this forward and keep it, even if we go end up back in the office next week, for example. So how do you envisage the, the future of the industry then? Because I know that like one of the reasons for, um, one of the reasons for um, introducing uh, all of the um, uh, business development um, studies into mm. your curriculum was that uh, it was clear that uh, the UK AAA industry uh, is not big enough to take the like the full intake of all the students from all of the UK in, um, universities. Um, mm -hmm. However, at the same time, there's uh, the the barrier to entry for creating um, independent studios um, uh, has never been lower. Mm -hmm. um, so, is they're in the, I guess there's an element of preparing students to sort of like do their own thing uh, if mm -hmm. that's if that's a path that they favor but um, how do you see the future of the industry developing um, as a whole in because of uh, not necessarily just because of uh, Covid but also just the, the 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 unsustainability of like all games being 4k and ray traced and um the, the demands that that makes on the, the assets that you, that you have to create mm -hmm. yeah i think the first thing i think to consider is where we go with technology because you've got the latest revision of the unreal engine for example which looks to be a game changer in terms of the way you will think about asset workflow and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. in the future i'm not sure um whether it's a good thing or a bad thing in this, from the point of view that uh, in the old days, everything was like, you know, low level programming and you had to just do everything from absolute scratch. Right. But now we've yeah. got lots of middleware where people can come in and rapidly develop complex prototypes, but without knowing any code. And so you could argue that there, of course there's a place for the, for these people because they might be brilliant at it, but, but when this middleware thing goes wrong, we need we need new people coming through with the expertise to be able to understand that and fix it, but also invent the new middleware of the future. So if everybody is kind of losing that thing, so uh, there, there are you've got the technological angle on what where, what goes with that. So my point was, you know, if if uh, with the Unreal Engine, if you can kind of just throw anything you want in there, it doesn't really care anymore about whether it's well optimized or not because you know what, it's so awesome, just throw it in there and it's going to work. How does that kind of change the way that we think about our workflows for asset? Is that is it a good thing or a bad thing? And how is that going to change in the future? I think that there'll be more automation um, with, you know, if, if, if we're going to continue to be remote, I think there's going to be more a case for using things like photogrammetry, scanning techniques, this kind of stuff to, to, to you know, optimize work. Well, maybe not optimize, but automate workflow certainly more if that might be an issue. Mm. Um, but this notion that, you know, we don't need offices anymore i think is an important thing this idea that you know what we can function as 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 a team and we can function as a large team 
you know, even without offices. And it is possible. And I think that there, there will be, maybe not all, but there will be some bigger studios who were kind of thinking, yeah, you know what, we could probably save a lot on overheads rather than having these huge hulking buildings around. And maybe there is a way forward where some people could work from home. It could be just a bit more flexible than we might have been in the past. Um, but with respect to the student side of things, then um, yeah, we're going to continue to keep encouraging students to produce, to, to have a go at creating their own studios, releasing, releasing their own products, mainly because I think um, the, the experience you've gained from that is just invaluable. And if there's one thing that we've learned from this whole process is that students that get good jobs at good, um, well, well-known, renowned studios, the vast majority of them are people that were proactive and have been on that journey of having to go launching their own thing they've they've got a much stronger cv because they've got published titles on it for starters which is always yeah. an edge uh, and they've got the, a, a host of experience that comes with that and as you say you know I, i've never been a subscriber to the point of view uh, that you know the industry should immediately open its arms and accept all university students on placements forever and i think there probably are people in the educational sector uh, at universe some universities that are very kind of fixated with this idea of how can I get more placements for all of my students and this kind of thing. And I think it's a flawed philosophy and I've never subscribed to it. I think really the industry is not, as you said perfectly well, the industry is not big enough to do that and to, to try to just keep stamping your feet saying, well, we need more placements, we need more placements. It's just, it's, it's a problem that you're not going to solve like that. So I think what we need to do is to work on the grassroots because that's where the action is, right? That's where you get the best experience because you see a greater cross-section of the workflow. You're not just in an office doing one thing all the time in a big studio. You get to see the whole production process of the game. So I think it's more valuable from, you know, from, from your growth as, a, yeah. as an individual when you do it. So yeah, there's huge um, positive um you know impacts on following that process yeah. so i think we're definitely going to see more people as you say the barrier for entry is much is as low as it's ever been mm -hmm. the, the ability to ship games and distribute them is as easy as it's ever going to get and where if you're going with the games as a service model you know you don't need a million million pounds up front to build a full swanky game we can get away with a much you know smaller cost as long as we can get it out there, get enough content, maybe get some monetization in there or whatever your strategy may well be. But there are many, many options for developing micro studios and moving forward with a career from that point of view, instead of trying to just you know, wait, bide your time and wait for the next big opportunity in AAA. They will, they will always be there. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes if they're not, you've got to be a little bit more proactive and uh, yeah. seize the moment sort of thing. Do you foresee that there's going to become a shortage of um, engine programmers as as more and more people are like moving onto the third party tools uh, and so on? Because yeah. the, if there's only if there's only Epic and Unity that are in, employing like low level engine programmers, that that, mm -hmm. that kind of restricts the yeah, uh, field I think a little. Well, yeah, I think it's what I was alluded to yeah, briefly. I think that it's always the potential. But having said that, we, we there are always people coming through who are uh, super enthusiastic about programming and wanting to be part of that. And for, to my mind, really, it, it, my, my role in higher education is I'm kind of just shaping and dealing with people who are at the tail end of that journey, you know? And uh, the biggest way to solve this problem is at the, the other end of the scale when they're entering the school system and mm -hmm. in, in making sure that we embed 
things like programming and technical skills into the, the journey that you go through as a school student and uh, as early as we possibly can so that by the time they get to the college age and they start thinking about what they're going to do beyond that uh, we benefit longer term then because we'll have people with a greater range of technical skills who, who won't be afraid to kind of get involved and think about you know um, how these things are going to work and solve te complex technical problems and invent the technology of the future so you've got to start somewhere though so yeah, um, yeah it's it's a long-term thing right and i think to my mind it's just the the when when you know, guys like epic throw out a new tool that's super easy to use uh super efficient mm -hmm. and solves not all but many of your problems for you up to a point within the world of you know prototype development of course you're going to get a load of people who jump in there and think oh i want to start using that and making games with it because it's at ease of access but you're always going to need that people in the periphery that can uh, take that technology forward in the future and make new stuff so i think yeah. there'll be a balance i'm not i'm not convinced that we'll, we'll have less technical people I just think that the technology will probably lead us in a particular direction and yeah. we're still going to need people around it to support it and develop yeah. it and invent the new stuff in the future. Uh, and I guess that that um, practice of um, uh, assembling uh, teams at university mm. um, uh, is, is equally helpful for um, students who are um, fully committed to a particular specialized skill set so that you're creating a little mm -hmm. miniature studio environment for a dedicated engine programmer or a dedicated mm -hmm. rigger or animator to flourish in yeah 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 what, what i mean like i said before things will be organized a little bit differently depending on where you go and what yeah. you study and so on certainly at, at uh, our place what we, we 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 put a lot of emphasis on team formation and it's actually it's actually a part of the assessment process so you can't just say well i want to work with my best mate because it's my best mate well yeah but what what, what are the skills that you have and how can yeah. we develop what are we trying to develop what's what's the goal and what kind of team can we put together that's going to best service uh, facilitate you know that goal so right. it's part of that process and it's baked into the way that they form teams and there's a, a review process that takes place and they have to be able to provide reasonable rationale for why they want it to be like that and if it's not acceptable or you know it's unfeasible then we can stop it immediately and address the issues rather than just let them blindly carry on and make mistakes yeah. Um, but like I said it, it'll be a little bit different depending on where you go and who you, who you speak to but yeah it's a, it's a really important part of the process really important looking at the um, uh, upcoming uh, new console releases mm -hmm. um, does that bring any um, any issues uh, for you as an educator with um, uh, because suddenly the there's going to be this demand for sort of like a majority of games suddenly to support ray tracing uh, and and such like um, do you uh, are you having to do anything um, in, in preparation for that uh, or, or does it does it take a little more time for those uh, demands to filter through industry down to the level of, yeah. of um, incoming students? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it, there's a definitely a process, it's a filtration process for sure, because right. you, you, something will come out, it'll be world renowned, everyone will be talking about it, and slowly but surely it filters back through uh, to our programs, because you've got to remember, by the time it's come out, right, it's been in the process of production for like one or two years or three years, however long that time's taken, so some things may or may not already be available as part of the engine and or tool sets that we already teach, 
Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if something comes out that's of particular significance, obviously we're always, you know, I'm a gamer and I play games and, you know, all the new things and all of the... Uh, the team and they're all super enthusiastic and they all they all like their own little things and we are, we have our kind of you know uh, Sony versus Microsoft debates and who's the best and who's the worst and all these different things so you know if something comes out that might be a game changer a bit like when Kinect first came out we we're all like ooh you know we all should start really learning how to kind of do stuff with Kinect and it turned out and then as a game peripheral interesting but maybe not the way but as a research tool it turns out that universities even now we still use connect technology and things like that in a whole yeah. bunch of different projects because as a research tool it's actually it's it has a lot of uses and it's the same with all new pieces of kit vr is another great example yeah. we we develop a lot of stuff for vr we always get groups of students who are super enthusiastic about developing stuff for vr and then we saw that little bit of a decline after the last few years where it was an, the thing again mm-hmm. and now half-life alex for example has kind of rejuvenated everyone's enthusiasm for like vr again yeah. and so you get the new wave of people coming through who want to continue that process but we do a lot of stuff from a research point of view uh yeah. with vr we do quite a lot of projects that uh, use that and some of them are um actually quite important to uh the economy and or healthcare and things like that so they're interesting serious games projects yeah. where we use that tech i was, I was just going to say yeah i mean obviously as a university you mm-hmm. must, as well as like research you must be involved with um a variety of interesting stuff that's more on or like on the fringes of like the commercial games industry that um so like yeah training and um uh like the whole serious games um umbrella Oh yeah, yeah. We do. We're involved in uh, quite, quite a lot of interesting things. Serious games is uh, such a, an interesting subject, just generally because of the the way you get to use traditional games technology and methods and apply them to an area where it's kind of like, oh, this would work really well over there, and this seemingly completely unrelated related thing that I've never yeah. thought of, and you suddenly start to see all these new ways of using game tech, and it gives you cool ideas for actual games entertainment games yeah because you've you've kind of put two and two together and come up with a a a crazy idea that you may never have thought of before so yeah research is one area that i think is for universities anyway is always the driving force of what you do right because uh that that is what separates universities from conventional college level and school level that the the notion of expertise and research that drives things forward Uh, yeah so it's uh it's uh, really invaluable yeah Okay, so um, just going back to um, games again then. Uh, so mm. what are you most looking forward to on the uh, next generation of consoles? Oh, Linkin X, that's a good guy. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, you know what? I am looking forward to Cyberpunk. Um, if, 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 if it gets released in my lifetime, you know, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> um, Half-Life, Alex, I really enjoyed that game. And I, I'm not, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but the nature of the ending got me very excited because okay. I'm a very big Half-Life fan. It was, it's one of my all-time favorite games, Half-Life 2 and that whole sort of thing. So yeah. um, if, if uh, a cheeky sequel of that nature were to come out, I would be very, very excited. <laughs> but uh, yeah, certainly for me, Cyberpunk, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And uh, I'm, I'm actually more of a casual player. So I tend to kind of, rolling out games mainly from the point of view but because i'm typically just very busy and i don't have time to just yeah. invest in uh, uh you know games so i find games like mmos and things just difficult to kind of 
invest enough time into in order to get the benefit of it. Um, uh, the, the, the game I put the most time into, by the way, recently is Conan Exiles. I don't know if you played Conan Exiles, but uh, um, that's about as close as to to MMO gaming that I've got to recently because it's kind of uh, along that vibe. It's great fun and I enjoy kind of building stuff and spending some time in there when when I get a spare moment or two. Uh, But yeah, Cyberpunk all the way for me at the moment. And yeah, uh, yeah. I am going to keep my eye out to see what else tickles my fancy. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to us, Rich. Um, where can where can people find you if they're curious about your your work, uh, your your game jams, um, and uh, and so on? Well, you can follow uh, me personally on Twitter at uh, @hebblewhite uh, on Twitter. You can find our university at glindur.ac.uk. Such G L Y N W D W R dot uk. Um, if you're interested in Global Game Jam, by the way, and you want to apply for that, then you want to go to globalgamejam.org, where you can apply to become uh, either A, to set up your own um, uh, hub and um, become a Game Jam hub manager, um, or you can apply to join someone else's hub. And uh, either way, if you do so, there's a good chance that you will probably meet me at some point, uh, because if you apply to become a hub uh, manager, uh, a site organizer, then there's a special process which involves me interviewing you uh, to start with. So um, if you do go down that road, then I'll look forward to catching up and speaking again. Thank you for joining us. Um, You're welcome. And uh, thank you all for watching.